just leave your Bibles open to that Matthew passage, and that's what we'll spend our time in. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, what is the strangest announcement you have experienced? Have you experienced perhaps a predictable, like, engagement announcement or a birth announcement or maybe a gender reveal announcement? And it went just like you thought it would. The predictability of that announcement didn't take anything away from the announcement, um, just that you knew what was coming. And it was very much expected. There is some sense in which the announcement of the kingdom of God was expected in that first advent, in that first coming of Jesus. Much like last week we talked about his return or the second coming, we'll have some sort of signs that we are to know, but the exact date yet we will not know. So we can't pin that down. That Even Jesus himself says he doesn't know the exact day or hour. It's only for the Father to know. So there's, there's a, a, a sense in which there's kind of a, a known and then the unknown and the unexpected. Today's passage marks the end of one era and the beginning of the next. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets, if you will. He's ushering in the kingdom of, he, of Christ. He is the forerunner for Christ. So he, he is the one who is to be the heralder and announce the coming king. In uh, kingdom days, there would be, a, as a king would go out and, and go about his kingdom, as he was coming near a town, a heralder would go before him and announce, hey, the, the king is coming. And that would help the people prepare in the town for the coming of the king. So this is the task that John has. John's task is to say that the king is coming. So in, this, in our passage today, I want us to see that weary people looking for something more are drawn to Jesus, the king, because he brings a new reality to bear in their lives or in our lives. We are those weary people looking for more. So first I want us to see the unusual announcement. Now, as I began, I wanted to be focusing in on the unusual part of John, because John's dressed, John's got to be a weird guy. He's a bit like last week when I referenced Noah, and Noah just had to be this kind of outcast. John's got to be a pretty strange guy in this time, which is why they're giving us, to, if he was dressed like everybody else, it wouldn't, there would be no description. If, if he were like everybody else, he'd probably not be outside the city, but he would probably be in among them. So he's already a bit different in that he's more isolated, he's out, and yet he's preaching. If, uh, well, let's, let's 
look at verse 1. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I, 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 I pivoted and came away from the strangeness of John to simply the unusual character of this announcement. As he came, he preached. How do you think the kingdom would be announced if the kingdom was to arrive today? If Jesus was first coming today, how do you think it would be announced? Do you think perhaps it would be through television commercials or social media posts or texts directly to your phone? Maybe, maybe any of those things, but, and, and which would seem reasonable. And this is why I think when technology advances, to see that, the, that God's ways are still the way they were in the Bible, his, his, his mode hasn't changed. We have all kinds of things that changes, change, and he does not. There seems to be a pattern of God's kingdom coming in the first place, uh, and to, the kingdom is coming to bear on earth. There seems to be a pattern of that kingdom coming on earth as there is for the kingdom to come to bear in a person's heart. So initially, the kingdom comes to bear on earth because Jesus comes. But then as people believe, we in our times, as we come to faith, that kingdom is coming to bear in our hearts. And there seems to be a correlation between the two. It comes, by the way, of preaching. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, announcing that the kingdom w was coming, and it came by preaching. Mark um, writes in his gospel of Jesus, in chapter 1 of Mark, in verses 14 and 15, it says, now, after John was arrested, speaking of that same John, John the Baptist, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is what Jesus said, and what Jesus said sounded a lot like what John said. Then if you'll fast forward with me throughout Jesus' ministry, even to Acts 2, where Jesus now has ascended, the disciples have been, he spent the three years with them, he's sending them out, he's given them now the Holy Spirit, and this is immediately after that, that Peter, it says in Acts 2, 14, says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. So Peter stood and lifted his voice. He preached, and he preached the gospel. His sermon in Acts 2 covers like the historical acts of God, of, of, of redemption. And at the end of it, in Acts 2, 37 and 38, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. This is a recurring theme. This is, this is the gospel that each one of them preached. So I wanted to look at least for a, a few moments at this concept of repentance. In the Greek, it is uh, 
metanoia. So in this, to the uh, repent would be metanoeo. So that means to change your mind. So the the and, and I hear people talking about this a lot it, that as if it only means to change your mind. And this is a place to start. Like most of these things, there's a context, there's a cultural context between between this um, theological concept of repent or metaneo and what it meant before it had its theological use. So the concept of change your mind is there, and it's still it's still there, and it's still good. Remorse or regret would also uh, accompany this word. Now, there is not an exact comparison in Hebrew, so it doesn't have uh, the, like a Hebrew form of metaneo. The Hebrew concept would be more like return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. The, di- the idea is to return from rebellion back to God. So the two together mean a change of attitude and action from sin toward obedience to God. This was according to one of my Bible dictionaries, which I, I, I liked uh, how it brought in the two different concepts and made one uh, definition for it. So a change of attitude and action from sin toward obedience to God. Both uh, Old and New Testaments indicate a change of behavior as well as the mind. Repentance, as in turning, is a response to a divine illumination of sin to where the person is convicted over their sin and rebellion against God. So they, by God's spirit, he convinces us that we actually are sinners and that what we are doing is wrong and we are in rebellion against him. So it's coming to a realization essentially, that he is God and we are not. That's our real problem from Genesis 3 forward is we want to be our own God, and we don't want to submit to the God who created us. This concept of repentance, then, it automatically encompasses a surrender to the Lord Jesus. So we could have remorse or regret for something we have done, but that's not necessarily repentance. I think that, I, I think, and my own story would be, that, so there's, there's a, uh, a lot of work done these days on shame, and as if there's only, uh, shame has a negative thing. Shame and like a cultural shame because you are a known sinner the cultural shame that can be experienced um, can lead people to turn to Jesus. It can help us recognize that we actually are sinners. In my story, that I would I would say that um, it had much to do, not with my own reaction, but how I felt I the position I'd held in my family growing up how I acted as a businessman, was all put in jeopardy from my actions. And so I felt a shame, a humiliation and shame. That, I think, helped drive me to Christ. It helped 
and help break me down to help me recognize my own sin. It's in that recognition of your sin that this surrender is to come about. That he is God and we are not, and therefore this submitting to the lordship of Jesus. Okay, his way must be better than mine. In the Old Testament, they would mourn over their sin or the sins of others, the sins of the nation. They would rend their garments. They would clothe themselves in sackcloth and cover themselves with ashes. There was an action that was connected to this turning back to God. In the, uh, they, they also made restitution for the wrongs that they had committed. In the New Testament, Zacchaeus does that very thing. And we read that passage, I think that was just last week. But when Zacchaeus turns in faith, he, he comes and climbs the tree, wants to hear from the Lord Jesus as he's coming. And he's going to come to his house, and, he, and it's during that time he tells Jesus that I'm going to pay back all the wrongs I've done. If I have cheated anybody, I will, I'm going to pay this back. So he intends to make restitution. There's, there's an action that is connected with his faith. There's a repentance that takes on a change of mind, yes, but also a change of action. So that was Zacchaeus. Paul, you will remember, preached the gospel, furthered the kingdom, was, was the valiant preacher for the church after he had persecuted the church. When he was struck down on the road and Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And here he thought he was doing the right thing, him being a God unto himself. He was brought low, turned, and became a worker for Jesus. And so he has plenty of actions in a change. There's obviously all kinds of evidence of a changed life in Paul. In our life group the other day, we talked about Onesimus, who is the runaway slave, and that runaway slave, Onesimus, returned to Philemon, who was his master. And Paul, writing in the letter to Philemon, was urging Philemon to, to receive Onesimus, the slave, back as a brother. So this coming to faith with the, uh, this relationship between Onesimus and his master, Philemon, it had been severed, and Onesimus had done him wrong. But through the gospel, there was a, a, the ability for reconciliation. And so there was action, this returning, this obedience to Paul. It, Paul says in that letter to Philemon that he was, he was a helper to him. And he is encouraging Philemon that he will be a helper to him. And he will be a helper as in a brother. So perhaps the relationship is far better than it had been prior to uh, Onesimus leaving. But I, I am encouraged to see that, okay, yes, there is a coming to faith, but then there's also action. So all throughout this, it's, it, it's true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament. So I, I just want to... I want to harp on that just a little so that you understand this is not just a changing of mind, but it also is a change of actions. The renewal of your mind that Romans 12.1 speaks of, um, it leads to your actions. And since I, this is one that is really sort of in my head, but it's like everything else, it gets a little dangerous if I just start quoting. So 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 um, are, are really, they're worth memorization. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then, two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, this, so we do need our minds renewed, uh, R.C. Sproul's ministry, Renewing the Mind. The, the idea that we need our minds renewed, yes, is absolutely true, but it leads to actions. The, the appeal to you, therefore, brothers, the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that's flowing out of, verse 2, the renewal of the mind. So our actions will be determined uh, by what we think about, what we love. And if we could actually recognize that we have disordered loves, then what we would need is a, how would we write our disordered loves in our brokenness? Well, we go to the truth, these scriptures, which we just read that were written for our good, for our purposes, and our renewing of the mind, and then we know what is good and acceptable to God, and then we conform to the scriptures. Of course, in our day and age, our pro the problem with the greater church is there is too much conforming the scriptures to our lives. I read the scriptures, there are plain, clear things in it. I don't like that, so I want to change the verbiage there and have it and twist that so that it ma matches up with my choices. Again, this is only still claiming that we're God and He is not. So we need to be careful of that. For us, where might the Lord be calling you? To a greater belief during this Advent season as you prepare for his coming. If it's, a, if it's all about the renewal of the mind which is going to affect our actions, where might the Lord be calling you to a greater belief? And this gets into my, the, the concept that the repent and believing in these contexts of these scriptures quoted, these are repenting and believing and coming to faith. But what we know is repentance is not a one-time thing. It's not that we repented and we believe and everything is good. No, repentance is a way of life. So there's a constant repenting for the thing, and, and, and there's, we're battling unbelief. It is, as the scriptures say, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. There are things that if we actually believed God had our goodness in mind, we would forgo the temporary things that we run for, looking for good in those. Which brings me to our next, um, my next thought is that we're, we're, there are people, and we are people, who are looking for something significant. We're, we're looking for something more than what, what uh, is on the surface, what meets the eye at first. Verse 5 says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So John, again, was a strange character, yet people from all around went out to hear him. There were, they were spiritually hungry 
at the time, and they were looking for something significant, something more. But where is our spiritual thirst today? Now, I believe it still exists, but it expresses itself differently in it today than it did in times past. Um, the culture of the first century was widely religious, and we, ours is less and less so all the time. But the spiritual thirst is natural, I think, to everyone in every age. I think, though, we are so self-sufficient in our time, in our prosperity, in our independence, that we are not aware of our own spiritual thirsts. Do the people that you know, the people that you hang out with, the people that you work with, do those people express a curiosity about spiritual things? Do the people in, that you know who are church people even express curiosity about, church, about spiritual things? Or might it be more just church-related? Now, this takes some discerning. So you may know dedicated people who are at the church all the time, and they're talking about this next thing they're going to do at the church, the next thing they're going to do at the church. Well, that could be very busy activity, but are they curious about spiritual things? We, uh, in our culture, have been steeped by um, logical, scientific worldviews that I do think stifles our spiritual thirst. We have answers for most everything, most of our questions, and so what else do we need? Are we even asking the questions? In some form or fashion, I do think people are still asking the question is like, is this all there is? Is this all that matters? Why am I here? What is the purpose of it? Is there a God? What is his purpose for me? I think those things are still in people. They do ask those questions in some way. Perhaps they're not asking them directly. But people today are still looking for significance, as they do in every age. They need something to turn to. In a world that's full of deceit, where everything fades, everything, everything from appliances to relationships, everything seems to fade. And truth is relative. What's that setting, that is our setting, that's where we are, then if, the, if, if you're on the edge of the riverbank and it starts crumbling beneath your feet, you're going to want to grab onto something and you're looking for something solid. You're not looking for the twig sticking out. You've all seen the movies and they reach and they, there's a little twig and, it, and then the tension rises because how long can this little twig hold that person as they're hanging off the side of the cliff? You're looking for something solid. The people who may not be expressing spiritual curiosity that you do know, they too are looking for that something solid. In many ways, they are showing signs that they recognize that the earth is slipping out from under their feet. Then what is it that they are clinging to? How might you be able to listen to others to help them discover that spiritual hunger, the spiritual thirst. Are they, or are we, searching for meaning and significance in the things that will pass away, such as our careers, or our homes, or our travel experiences, or even our families? 
at this at, at this time of the year, if you're if you'll watch any of the uh, Christmas movies, we'll, you'll hear it multiple times that family is the most important thing. And I, I'm a, I'm huge about family. I think God ordained the family for great purposes. I think God works in the family. But during this time of year, it's really not so much about your family, which it's, this, I, this bucks what we're used to. It's all about family. We get together. This is when we do it. Now, this is really about Jesus. It's really about a world who is damned without him, and he's entering in to bring a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. So the most important thing really is our relationship with Jesus. Now, second to that would be, yes, family. I, I'll, go, I'll go with that. But we, we got to have the right things in the right order. And if we just have family and we concentrate on family, but we eliminate Jesus, we have problems. Next, I want us to see hope realized. And, and there's, there are plenty of things to say in the verses that I didn't cover. But let's go to verse 11. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So John is the pointer to Jesus. John is not the one whom they've been looking for. They were expecting a Messiah, much like the second coming they there were signs that were happening and there was an expectation but they didn't know the day or the hour and then they didn't it was like are you the one are you the one so here's john and he would have been confused as the messiah but he's saying i'm not the one but i know the one so he's pointing his way to them and john was comfortable in that position he had an assigned task and he didn't want to be confused with the messiah he wanted to be the pointer to Jesus. We need to do the same. Will you be the pointer to the people that you know? Will you point people to that, that re which really matters, which is Jesus? Will you, t will you tell them where they can find lasting significance outside of their normal patterns of life in the person of Jesus who is able to quench their thirst? Now, you know, how might you do that? I think, I think the Lord will work in you through the words that come to you to say Jesus is better. Jesus is better. As good as we may think we have it, and whatever it is that we're finding our significance and our hope in, Jesus is better. John baptized with water. But he says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I want us to understand how important this difference is. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit, meaning that all who believe share in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us that everyone who believes has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. There is not a, a two-stage baptism for Holy Spirit. All who believe are in the, have the Holy Spirit in them. This, the Bible is clear on that. And there is a section where people want to make it different and say, but have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you have, do you have gifts that show that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Although the scriptures teach that if you believe, you have the Holy Spirit in you. But what about the fire? 
John's talking about what Jesus is going to do. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We've got to recognize that this context that John is speaking in, John's speaking to a broad audience here. He's not speaking to just Jesus' disciples or those who would just simply become Jesus' disciples. It's the everybody, which is why he has some clarification to the Pharisees when, when they come, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, as they come, he wants them to have a, uh, a life in keeping with their repentance back to their, you can't just say that you're a child of Abraham and that's going to do it for you. No, this concept that if, if you have repented, if the Lord has given you that divine revelation that you are a sinner and you turn to him, then you are his. Now live as if you are his. And that's what he, he's, he's harping on them, but he's also harping on us. And so this is a wide audience that John is speaking to. It is not just those who believe. So we, as we're looking about what Jesus is going to bring, what this baptism is he's going to bring, we need to consider this in the context of the all. So it's not just, because when, when we read this, Jesus is baptizing. We know he must be baptizing only us believers. But I think here, this context says that for those who believe, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is going to give you eternal life if you believe. I think to this broader context where he's speaking to believers and non-believers, to the non-believers, he's going to bring judgment by fire. This is the solemn warning from John that we need to listen well. This is the gospel. This is what John proclaimed prior to Jesus, before Jesus started preaching. John proclaims it, then Jesus proclaims this same gospel. Then after Jesus, his apostles, his disciples, carried out the same gospel, preached the exact same gospel. Jesus has the ability to promise eternal life. He has, the pro he has the ability to promise judgment by fire and condemnation because he is the creator of all things. So when that creation when, when the part of his creation, man, wants to worship the creation instead of the creator, they don't worship Jesus, but they know that God exists, but they want to actually worship other things, including themselves. Then Jesus' warning here is, you have two choices. You will either be granted eternal life, or you will be granted eternal punishment. So for us, as we're preparing for this, this second coming and preparing our hearts to receive and remember the first, let us not take for granted the time. As we prepare and look forward to Christ's second advent or his second coming, may we proclaim the same gospel with urgency for in finding the source of lasting significance we and those to whom we've proclaimed the gospel to, those who believe it, those who receive it, we escape eternal fire. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray.